Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the podcast based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guide. This is the ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to episode 70 of Thrive Deeper. It's DJ here, your humble host. And on this week's episode, I get to sit down with our friend Matthew Jacoby and go through the final half of the first letter called 1 Peter. We get to finish off that book today. We get into one of the strangest topics, one of the strangest doctrinal points we've ever got into. It's called the harrowing of hell. If you've never heard of it before, keep on listening because we get into it on this episode. And to even make this strange episode even stranger, I introduced today's episode with a discussion about film that is a really, really strange one. You're going to enjoy it if you want to know more about what Matthew Jacoby likes to do in his, <laughs> in his downtime and what he teaches in the courses that he does. You're going to enjoy this one. So this one's for all you film lovers out there. Welcome to episode 70 of Thrive Deeper. Matt, in your professorship, I don't know if that's the right word for what you do up at the Melbourne School of Theology, MST, I know that you talk sometimes about the arts and I know that you talk about film sometimes. Mm. I want to hear what you, you know, not the word isn't justify, but I know you like coming at things, especially when you're teaching about culture and arts when it comes to film, you're not just saying, okay, now we're going to watch the latest Christian movie. This is not a hab- about watching Christian movies. No. No. Okay. No. Don't don't say that in a slight, oh. a slight way, like there's something wrong with Christian movies. Yeah, no, no. I'm just wondering where you're going. Uh, no, no, I, I'm, I'm going because, you know, very recently out here in real life, out of the podcast, you and I like yeah. to watch some films. Yeah. You know, we like to watch mm. different movies, you know, come and go. And sometimes we're happy to talk about the films that we see, but mm. sometimes, you know, some. and again, we're not like trying to hide a secret mm. sin, but sometimes we're like, yeah, we might we might mm. not talk about that movie because some people might have trouble thinking that we've seen it from a Christian perspective, if you know what I mean. Mm. So I would love to know, you know, f- from you, when you're teaching that subject to your students, do you ever have any students saying, oh, gee, I wouldn't watch that film because it's not a Christian movie or I can't see the Christian redemption in that film like that? Well, I am... Um so just to summarise, I teach uh, a course called Faith and Art in, in which we look at uh, the expression of, um, you know, s- spiritual slash moral themes mm-hmm. through the arts, um, yep. whether critical of the Christian worldview or um, in some ways advocating the Christian worldview um, <clears throat> or, or just ruminating on ideas associated with the Christian worldview. So... Uh, you know, most the, the arts have been instrumental, really, more than even really more than abstract doctrine in shaping the Christian imagination down mm. through history. And mm. so, you know, looking through visual art, music, and so forth is um, a really way of really good way of understanding the culture. And of course, that's very much the case today. And w- with film, of course, being the most dominant. Um, art form and so we do look at film we look at sort of a little bit of pop culture but I also push into um, uh, 
sort of the more independent, you know, like in what we call international film. I, the, the term international, it's like a category, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's like Anything everything that's, that's not America. It <laughs> really sort of annoys me a bit, but anyway. And to our American <laughs> listeners, we love you lots, but there are yeah. films going outside, on, but on look, outside. You know, yeah. my favourite filmmakers, uh, you know, people like the, the Russian um, filmmaker Andres Vyginstev and... Um, uh, you know Michael Haneke, the Dardan brothers, and you know they they make films that that are so rich with moral themes, like very challenging mm. films. Uh, there are some of their films that uh, so so there's a um, couple of Michael Haneke films that I haven't watched because I again I'm th- there are just certain things that I don't uh, it's, it's not good for they're, me to see. They're not going to edify. Yeah, you. yeah, you know. So so I um, so I actually look up. You know, I look at the you know the, the ratings of what, and and then I sometimes even look up the parents' guide. Yes, not always for my kids, but for me. <laughs> uh, you know, <clears throat> so so I look. I am discerning, and and it's the same with my kids. Uh, sorry, with my kids, that's Freudian slip. Yeah. Certainly with my kids, but with my students. Yes. Um, you know, but film, uh, yeah, film can be in a, a a really interesting way of playing with ideas mm. that's the way I would you know there's there's a playfulness about the arts it's not always doesn't always have to mean this or advocate that sometimes it's just playing with an idea mm. and helping us to think about that idea from different perspectives yeah so there are films that perhaps uh maybe I would not advocate that perspective but it helps me to see it from that perspective mm. You know, like the famous, you know, famously lately, you know, The Handmaid's Tale, which has been massive. Um, uh, you, you know, I, I think there are lots of problems with that perspective, but it does help me to understand perhaps how some people actually see yes. Christianity. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and so, so that, you know, the media can be uh, important for that reason. Now, I'm not sure where you were going with that question. Is that where... No, no, I was. There was no. I wasn't trying to lead yeah. you anywhere in particular. I, the reason why my <laughs> mind is thinking about film is because we are talking. Bear with me with this. This is a really bit of a rabbit trail here. This yeah, is how yeah. my mind works. Yeah. Okay, uh, we uh, we're talking about First Peter in the last half of the book of First Peter. Yeah. And in this section of First Peter, and we'll get to it in a moment. Is a particular doctrinal, you know, uh, idea. Yeah. That. That troubles me and I am probably one of the few things in scripture I'm happy to say I don't really know what I think about that. The reason why I started thinking about it is because Mel Gibson, uh, the man who made The Passion of the Christ, Mm. is on record of saying that by 2021 he wants to release the sequel, The Passion of the Christ Part 2. And one of the big themes that he has talked about in happening that he wants to talk about what was happening with you know, the the disciples and the apostles while Christ was in the grave. Mm. But he also wants to, and no one knows exactly, but he has been on record of saying, I want to talk about what Christ was doing while he was dead for three days. Mm. And as he's coming from a very Catholic perspective and he's, he's referenced first Peter chapter three, Right. In that. And I, for one, and we'll get into this a little bit later yeah. on. So that's where my mind goes, thinking about film and thinking about how film can explore. Now, in the case of Mel Gibson, he's going to, he's not going to be playful with it. He's going to be exploring yeah. explicitly his doctrines and stuff like that. Mm. So that's what's got me thinking about films. I know that's a roundabout way to introduce yeah. the second part of First Peter. but uh, And we'll get there in just a minute. So 
Let's get into it. Let's right. get to it. <laughs> I know everyone's going, hang on. That was an interesting on. lead in. That was good. No, I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I literally, as even as you started talking and recording, yeah. I'm literally still reading about yes. that passage, trying to sort out what I even think about well, that. Well, we're going to get there. We're going to get This is going to be an interesting episode. It's episode 70, believe it or not, of uh, Thrive Deeper. And we are in First Peter. Now, this is a... Uh, a lot of people probably don't even know what we're... Uh, talking about yet. Yes, exactly. Bear with us. Yeah. We're going to be getting there. You're going to be going, hang on, you might have to go back and replay yeah, this. Like get ready for, <laughs> for the weirdest thing you've ever read. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Get ready for some weirdness on this episode. Uh, now, First Peter is obviously, as we've said, is written from the Apostle Peter. This is Simon Peter himself, the head of the disciples usually, one of Christ's best buddies. And uh, this is written, uh, you know, later in his life uh, and he is... Um, you know, we've got a, a couple of books, a couple of letters from uh, from Peter, and he is, uh, you know, incredibly eloquent and, and jams so many different ideas mm-hmm. uh, in a, you know, if 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 the caricatures of Peter, you know, are true that we often see, like the the you know the big loud fisherman and the person who's first to speak and then think later on, I know that some people who love to try to talk about temperament types or even you know different ways of mentally looking out at the world will often portray Peter mm. as like some sort of like uh, you know uh, you know um, you know hyperkinetic mm. uh, out there sort of person you know with a personality. Some people have, have as even said, oh, he's obviously some sort of bipolar personality here in reading about it. I, we yeah. don't know any of yeah. that. Uh, we only know that he his uh, his epistles are very much in that personality of a, a jumble of ideas that are being thrown out there. Now, that's how they seem at the, on the surface, mm. but there is a beauty and a rhythm to them once you spend your time in, mm. in reading through the book. So we have been looking at, uh, you know, First Peter in the last, last week's episode, and he had just spent some time talking you know, in, in something that is very troubling for us in this day and age, he's been talking about slavery. He's been mm. talking about the role of the wife in the house, and now he gets into uh, the role of the wider church community. You know, yeah. and, and how we relate to each other. And, and to summarise about the slavery and the and the uh, what he says both to slaves and to women, because they had experienced, and I, this is an important point, which is why I want to repeat this, because they had experienced a significant, like a significant revolution yes in a sense uh, in gaining a sense of equality with everyone else and uh, a kind of massive promotion like like their their fundamental humanity as created in the image of God has been affirmed and so the Christian community and we know this from early history was absolutely revolutionary in the way that it it Put everyone on the same yeah. on the same level, yeah. and it still now, is revolutionary. That's right. now, now the problem with that is that they still had to exist in a society that uh, looked a- and and assessed different the it, different religions yes. within it uh, by whether they kept you know peacefully within the existing social structures. Yeah. So Peter is telling his uh, his the slaves and the women and the it, it, to, look. We, we have to work within the present social structures yes. because we're, you know, we're not part of a uh, imposing revolutionary movement. We're part of a movement that's going to change things in a long and slow way from the inside out. Yeah. So he says to slaves, obey your masters. We're just going to – even though slavery is a bad thing, we're going to work, we're going to work with this. He says to the women, even in households where, where there's a harshness, uh, and, and a husband that doesn't yeah, believe, yeah, you know, and, and a domineering husband who doesn't believe, 
you, let's just work with this and let's let's change this from the inside out. Now, I, I you mentioned a Freudian slip before. Uh, it might have been a Freudian slip for me. I didn't mention his passage where he talks to husbands. You know, like there's a yeah, of, of course, yeah, there's yeah. a verse there where he talks he, to well, husbands. He certainly does. Yeah, but but the point there is, I mean, and this is what I think a lot of people don't get. They say, oh, well, well, Paul, you know, ad. ad um, advocates the you know the subjugation of, of women no no he oh, sorry peter in this yes. case uh, even with with paul i mean it's yes part you know partially for the same reason a lot of the teaching of paul is saying uh first of all bringing out this idea of the priesthood priestly role of the man in the family mm. not He's not the king, he's the priest. I mean, this mm. is, you know, that's what the idea of headship uh, entails. And we've talked about that, I think, in previous episodes. Yeah, we? yeah, yeah. Yep. And, um, uh, but he, he's also, there's also this imperative for the early Christian church to work within existing social structures and not rock the boat unnecessarily. I mean, they're, all, they're already rocking the boat yes. in, in, in massive spiritual ways, yeah. challenging, you know, the, the deity of the emperor and, and, mm. and you know, um, bringing this uh, revolutionary belief system that's changing people's lives. So th- they don't want to cause offence and rock the boat in a whole lot of unnecessary ways. So, yeah. so that's you know that's what's going on there in that part of and and uh, and, and like we, and like we've talked about before, you know, some of that uh, you know, we need to be reading this in the light, and even with with Peter. We need to be reading it in light of not just pulling out the verses on their own as a, own as a proof text or trying to prove that there's something wrong with it, mm. but Peter spends a long time talking about how all believers, men and women, yeah. are in this new role. Paul spends oh, a long right. time yeah. talking about the equality of all of us. And in light of that, we get to the next verse here in chapter yeah. 3, verse 8, where where Peter then talks to all of, all of right. the believers. Yeah, that's right. And so he's, you know, th- th- they are... Um, they are suffering for their faith. But again, there's this idea, and this flows really out of what he says to the slaves and to the women and to the, to the husbands. Like, um, we, we're, we are a people who practice the sort of the turn the other cheek rule of yes. Christ. Yes. You know, we, we don't fight evil with evil. Now, I mean, let's not over-apply this. And again, uh, the, the sort of caveat for this is, you know, situations of abuse and that this doesn't mean that we're a walkover. We mm. don't try to uh, do everything to avoid those things or to utilise good, legitimate legal system that yes. we have to protect us and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. That's my footnote, right? Yeah. Um, but he's saying that, you know, w- we are a people who, are, who need to be willing... Um, to in some measure um, uh, take it on the chin mm-hmm. for a greater cause, yes. not fight back, take it on the chin to witness something that is more important. And the more important is, and Paul spends a long time talking about this yep. here and Peter echoes, echoes the same thing, this is another way we identify with the suffering of Christ That's and right. become more like him. That's right. Even in the circumstances yeah. that aren't great, i.e. Yeah. a domineering husband, a slave owner who's yeah, cruel to exactly. you. This is another way that we are living in for the audience of one being God the Father, identifying yeah. with Jesus. And so, yeah, that's right. So this this next section actually helps to interpret those exactly. previous two sections. Exactly. So, for example, he says here... Um, uh, you know, finally, all of you have, I'm reading from the ESV here, uh, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind, right? Mm. This is about humility. And then he says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for revive, for reviling, but on the contrary, bless 
You know, Jesus talked about blessing those who persecute you. This is exactly what uh, Peter's talking about. Um, Bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Mm, mm. So this is... Uh, this is the sort of posture that he's calling us to. Um, uh, now, um, as he goes on, uh, he says here in verse 14, have no fear of them or be troubled, You're talking about your persecutors, but in your hearts, honour Christ, the Lord is holy. Always be prepared to make a defence for anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. So the balance of this is that, you know, we... Uh, we don't fight back, but we certainly um, we are uh, ready to actually speak yes. for what we believe. Yes, because the important thing here is uh, is that the message is conveyed through our example. Yes, and, and through our words. And so it's almost like you know, in thinking about the actual scenarios that is running through Peter's mind of the slave you know, of the new Christian male or female, wherever they're they're in, whatever role they're in, and even of the wife of the unbelieving Mm. husband, uh, be ready to suffer, be ready to live for an example. But then the the flip side of the coin is he's almost assuming there's going to become a point where your lifestyle is going to provoke someone to say, why are you the way that you are? And when you're given that opportunity... You get ready to talk. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. so don't – and this is this is the imperative. This is what's behind this imperative. Don't just do what anyone else would do. You know, don't just fight back or uh, actually demonstrate a different way of life. Yeah. And then that begs the question, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love I love it. I love it. Mm. Okay, let's, let's move on here. And this is where we're going to be getting into the passage that I alluded to at the beginning of the, you know, the episode here. Something that is – you know, bewildering to me and um, I'm going to be bold enough to say I don't know what I believe about this. Mm. And this is a, a fascinating historical discussion here. And it goes into, and I'll read from the, if it's okay with you, Matt, I'll, I'll, I'll read from the New Living Translation yeah. from verse 18. It says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death. But he was raised to life in the spirit, verse 19. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt, but that it's holy blood. It goes on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated at the place next to, next to God and the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. So out of this verse and many other verses in Scripture, um, we get a concept and it's, it's got it called a lot of different things in, in different uh, traditions. My favourite description of this, this doctrine or this idea is, is sometimes called the harrowing of hell. And I think it yeah. comes from – I think it might be even come from Dante's Inferno. I don't yeah, know if that's where, where it comes from there. This harrowing of hell. And this is the concept that when Christ died on the cross, physically he died, he went to hell. Mm. And we see here in Peter that he preached to the spirits in something. Mm. There's other verses about him taking – you know, captivity, yeah, captive, yeah. and other different mm. you know things and different passages. We see different examples of it. Some of the uh, you know the classic examples here um, is in uh, you know. Uh, let me think here. Um, it, it, talking about different aspects about uh, you know 
what the in the, in this discussion comes up what death and Hades is. Uh, we see in Ephesians, uh, you know, that Christ. This is why when he ascended high, he took many captives and gave gifts to people. There's mm. this idea coming from you know these these passages that Christ had gone to hell for some yeah. reason, and this brings in so mm. many different doctrines, so yeah. many different arguments. And at yeah. this stage in my life, I am more than happy <coughs> to say, you know what. I don't know what this means. Yeah. Um, I think I have heard that term, the harrowing of hell. I'm not sure. From, I have read Dante, but I, I don't think it's from him. But there's this I, yeah, there is this idea that, you know, Jesus goes uh, to hell. Uh, and, and even there's a, there's a version of the creed that talks about he descended into hell. And on the third day it was, was raised to life again. I mean, you know, it, in is, Greek it, is, it is from. I'm just looking it up now while yeah, you're yeah. talking, sorry. It is otherwise known as Christ in limbo that is sent yeah. into hell. It comes from an 8th century Anglo-Saxon liturgical play, a drama called <laughs> The Harrowing of Hell. Right. There we go. Well, there you okay. Go. Uh, anyway, um, but look, th- there are a lot of... Uh, look, let me just say some general things about yes. this about this passage. Um it's look. It's enormously complicated, and and there are a number of different interpretations of this. So it's not like this is clearly advocating anything. Mm. Uh, well, it's no, no. I should, it is advocating something. We just don't really know for sure what what that is. So it seems like Peter's talking about something that perhaps his he knows that his audience is familiar with. Like it's like he doesn't really explain what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. There seems to be some. It seems to be taken that there's some familiarity with yes, this, perhaps. Yes. And um, and and we're not exactly sure uh, what's going on. So l- let me just um, state some of the questions here. Okay. So he talk. He says. Um, now again, I'm working with the ESV, which is a more literal uh, translation. Totally. Um, it says that being put to death in the flesh, talking about Christ, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Now, first question is, who are the spirits in prison? Uh, are they unbelievers who have died? Uh, Old, Testament, Old Testament believers, perhaps, yes. uh, who have died? Because uh, he goes on to talk about in the time of Noah. Noah yeah. Or are we talking about fallen angels here? Because remember, uh, it talks about the angels, that the, the Nephilim and, yes. and the, in Genesis chapter 6 talks yes. about the sons of God, uh, and and the daughters of men, yep. uh, so so there are these fallen angels. Is as he talking about them? And then, and then, and then the, in in future prophecies, we get we get an idea that they have been set aside into a particular <coughs> special yeah. part of hell. There's a special part of damnation yeah. about these fallen That's angels. Right. Yeah, and and you know because he says because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared. Uh, so. So he went and proclaimed to these spirits in prison. Now, the, again, the other question is, what did Christ proclaim to them? I mean, is this a second chance for repentance? Is it a completion of kind of completion of redemptive work, perhaps? Is it a declaration of final condemnation, which is possibly more likely here? You know, mm-hmm. uh, is you know, it's like this declaration uh, of whoever he's uh, he's talking to there. Mm-hmm. And then the other question is, when did this happen? Yes. You know, when did he preach? Is this, is, is this him going back into the days of Noah? Like, is this a way of saying that, 
you know, in a spiritual sense, he preached, say, through the mouth of Noah to that. That's gotcha. one interpretation. Okay. Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, uh, is this something that he does between his death and resurrection? You, the, the This harrowing of hell idea, this um, that he descended into hell and there he goes, uh, th- that that idea of bef- before his resurrection, that's connected with that. So he, he dies, descends into hell, preaches to the spirits perhaps imprisoned then and then he's raised to and then he's raised up uh, or is this after his resurrection mm. okay so that look they're all of the uh, they're the questions many okay. questions are yeah. raised yes now um here are some of the interpretations I, I don't know how much detail you want to get in into Dude, this but I, I, apologies if you're not interested in this <laughs> if you've tuned in I'm sorry, I'm taking over this week's episode because this is what I'm interested in when it comes to First Peter. That's the first thing I thought of yeah. because I know – and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I, I love the preaching of John Piper. You yeah. Know, John Piper. Yeah. John Piper is on the record of saying this whole doctrine is a mistake. In fact, John Piper says, when we recite the Apostles' Creed, I will not use the phrase he descended into hell because mm. I believe that did not happen. Mm. Other people of different traditions, and John Piper's, you know, very, you know, reformed Calvinist, you know, tradition. Uh, We've got other people from other traditions, Baptist, Pentecostalism, believing completely sitting on other sides of the fence about this doctrine. Uh, You know, Mormonism have a a particular view of it. Uh, You know, orthodoxy, of course, you know, our friends in the Greek Greek Orthodox churches Mm. and stuff like that. Really, you will see it on icons on the wall Mm. that Christ ascended into hell and took, you Mm. know, you know, so... There's big views on this. Um, Augustine uh, said that this is all allegory. It didn't actually happen. Don't mm. you know? Type of thing. Mm. One of the early, you know, yeah, yeah. writers there. So I'm fascinated with it that it doesn't seem to be a consensus in the church right from the very beginning. That's right. Yeah. I mean, and and if we take he descended into hell as not not hell as in Gehenna hell, but yes. Hades, Hades, like the is, realm yes. of the dead. Generally, yes. then yes, he he you know he really died, and yep. I mean it does. It does beg the question. The question does beg what happened between Christ's death and resurrection. I mean, this may not apply to this text, but it's yes. an interesting. It's question, a great question, you know. And um, and the fact is, we don't really know. But the question is: Is this giving us some glimmer of some glimmer yes. of? Is this hinting at some something? Yeah. Now, he, he, one interpretation is that Christ went to the place where disobedient supernatural powers are in prison. This is the you know. Um, uh, idea of fallen angels. Now, this can be taken to refer to a journey either down to Hades before his resurrection, or up to a prison in the heavens, in the in the heavenly realms after his re- resurrection. So, in either place, he's seen to be proclaiming his vic- his victory in God's judgment. Okay, mm, mm. so he, he uh, whether it's after his death before his resurrection or after his resurrection. The, the idea is that he proclaims his victory. So there, there are aspects of that that I think uh, that interpretation that are probably valid. Uh, the, the, another interpretation is that Christ went to Hades and preached to the spirits of people who were disobedient in Noah's day. Um, you know, now for some this is simply an announcement of victory and judgment. Yes. Okay, as, as I've said, as in the first view. For others, it's it's a proclamation of the gospel, giving them a second chance. Uh, now, I think that's um, problematic. Yeah. Yeah, so, I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, the other interpretation, 
and I, I referred to this before, is this idea that Christ entered into Noah and through him preached to those who were disobedient during the building of the ark. Okay, mm, yeah. so, uh, so it's he preached to those who are now dead, but when he preached to them, they weren't dead. Yes, that's, but yeah, and he yeah, preached yeah. them through uh, through Noah. Now that's you know I think it's the Tyndale commentary that advocates that um, that view, and, and that's quite a prominent uh, commentary. Yeah. On the whole, look, um, the, the most evangelical interpreters, yes. so moving away from Catholicism and Orthodox interpretations yep. to, into our, I suppose, our own Protestant, uh, you know, yeah, field yes. uh, of interpretation. Um, this pr- it's probably summed up by the um, IVP commentary. Um, what does that stand for? Uh, it, it was the, the IVP, it's just the InterVarsity Press commentary. Okay, yes, it's yes, one, yes, one yes. commentary, yep, evangelical yep. commentary, um, which suggests that the best solution is that the verse proclaims Christ's victory over demonic spirits after his death and resurrection. So mm. he, he, it's after his death and resurrection, he's seated at the right hand of God and he proclaims his yes. victory and yes. judgment yeah. uh, upon those people who disobeyed. So that feels right to me. I know that's a horrible expression yeah, yeah. to use when it yeah. comes to doctrine, but with with everything else that is spoken about that time of, of, of Christ and what we know, what yeah. happened, what happens, it's, it's like trying to fit this. And this is what biblical interpretation I think is yeah. all about, taking all of the passages about this, laying them on top of each other or next to each other and saying what narrative comes from putting them all together in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this idea that his his city yeah. seating on sit, being seated on the on the right hand yeah. of, of God, being proclaimed as the victor here, yeah. by that that is proclaiming something to all of Hades by to yeah. all of eternity. Yeah, that's right. I, I that that sort of feels like it fits into all of Scripture. Yeah, that's right. So, so there's a few reasons why, why I think that this interpretation um, has strength. I mean, first, um, you know, the word spirits. Here, I think almost certainly refers to angels, mm-hmm. evil angels in yes. this uh, yes. context, right? Um, so fallen angels. Secondly, the notion that the spirits are in prison fits with this idea of Satan's imprisonment yes. in Revelation 20, um, verse 7. Um, then, uh, you know, going back to Genesis 1 to 4, like this, this might provide the reason for the spirit's punishment. And this is a really intriguing section, the section oh. about the sons of God mating with the daughters of men this is, and producing the Nephilim. Now, I know that you're not really one for current pop culture, alternative <laughs> culture, Matt, you know, and in the world of conspiracy theories and the left yeah. and the right and different right, underground yeah, yeah. alternative theories of stuff. But I tell you what, there is a movement going on right now that, and I think it's going to end up resulting in, in a lot of good that there's a lot of alternative people, you know, in the world and, and they, they have been led to a place, you know, and a lot of people can argue whether it's right or wrong, where they're beginning to second-guess what the narratives they've been told. Now, some of them will go down the pathways of, you're going to laugh at this, but people are 100% serious about this. People are going to go down the pathways of a flat earth. People are going to go down to the pathways of the moon landing wasn't real. People are going to go down to all these conspiracy theories, whether it's about 9-11 yeah. or politicians or anything like that and the Illuminati and stuff. Yeah. But the offshoot of that, after people have gone down all these conspiracy theories and really deep thinkers, very vocal voices, we're not talking about Christian people at all, yeah. but I've heard a lot of them recently saying there's something to 
all of the conspiracies po- point to one thing, that there's a creator and that there's, a, there's an evil one and something happened a long time ago and the, and the idea and the theory and the conspiracy theory about Nephilim mm. is hot topic right now. So you're going to be talking to some young people who are all ears and go, I've heard so many people talking about this. Right. So I know that you're not up with all of that, but I mention it to say that there are a lot of people who are leaning forward right now going, Matt, what do you you have to say about this? For a bit of comedy occasionally, (laughs) I'll watch a flat flat earth, you know, uh, thing. But, um, yeah, look, I I have heard a lot of – I mean, probably more in Christian circles, a lot of – uh, uh, perhaps theories around that, you know, these... Yes. Because we're not, we're not given much explanation there in Genesis 6. It's one yeah. of those sections where you say, what, what? Yeah. What is he talking... You know, and then ha- the, the, yeah. what happened? So the, so the illusion there in Genesis 6 is, is, is part of the rebellion of the angels. Some of these angels were able yeah. to somehow take bodily form, reproduce with the beautiful women yeah. of, of that of that first age of man. Yeah. And their their children, their offspring, this Nephilim offspring, yeah. were the the beginning of the origin of the myths of legends that we have. And you know, that's yeah. through a lot of different religions and beliefs, uh, different philosophies and worldviews and stuff like that, of of these crazy stories of these uh, you know, yeah. these these amazing men. And then biblically in the Old Testament we see obviously there's an allusion to people like the Goliath and Goliath's yeah. brothers being somehow a result yeah, of this that's offspring. Right. And, and of course, that, that's the, I mean, in, in fact, the way that Goliath is described uh, in, the, in the narrative in 1 Samuel yes. is intended to evoke this idea of, of, of the Nephilim. He, he is, you know, so David becomes the one that crushes the serpent's head because there's a sense, and, and je- that passage in, uh, in Genesis 6, you know, evokes. The, the this idea in Genesis three fifteen yep. that the the seed of the woman uh, and the seed of, and the seed of the serpent and they are the seed of the serpent. Yes. I mean that's it's connected with that. 100%. Now let's to bring this back to bring that back to this. That is left unresolved, you know. So so that I mean we have that section where David defeats Goliath and Goliath is clearly sort of represents this force of evil somehow. However mm. you want to understand that. Okay? Yes. But but there's still not not really a final condemnation of that. Now what we I think what we see here is that after Jesus' death and resurrection, he actually now can declare judgment upon the, these evil angels, upon this demonic realm that were perhaps incarnate in some way. Yeah. However, you want to understand that yes. in Genesis six. Yeah, I, look, I, I'm 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 with you there. <laughs> so, so the the, the NAC, uh, which is the New American uh, Commentary, another great evangelical uh, commentary series, um, summarizes it this way: uh, says the majority view among scholars today is that the text describes Christ's proclamation of victory and judgment over the evil angels. These evil angels, according to Genesis 6, 1 to 4, had sexual relations with women and were imprisoned because of their sin. Uh, The point of this passage then is not that Christ descended into hell, but as in uh, 3.22, harking back, his victory uh, is over evil angelic powers, Mm, okay? mm. So it's like in the context, it kind of fits the context because he's talking about, yes, you're suffering evil, but, uh, but 
this is how we overcome evil through suffering, because that's how Christ overcame evil. You say through his suffering, through his death and resurrection, uh, he defeated the powers of evil. Yeah, and I love that because it, it, it does, it ties up so many, like you say, it ties up loose ends. The fact that Adam, you know, Mm. sold the birthright, as it were. Like, you know, the, what we see, another pattern yeah. of that in Esau. He sold the birthright of humankind to to the enemy. Yeah. And then the enemy took advantage of that and, and was doing different things. And it wasn't until Christ finally mm. came and fulfilled everything, yeah. the fulfilment of all things, you know, the ultimate, yeah. you know, uh, paid for all of this, you know, this here on the earth, that he was able then to go back and almost write the wrongs yeah. of history right from the beginning. Yeah. Well, mm. look... Some of our listeners may not have a clue what we've just been talking about for the, for the last five minutes, but uh, what I suggest uh, you do, if you dare, is uh, is read. We'll certainly read this section of Peter. You can go back and read uh, Genesis six verses one to four, and you can scratch your head over that. Uh, always, when when you get to complicated details like this, the best way to interpret. Let me give you a tip. Best way to interpret it is to draw out draw back and see the bigger picture. Yes. In all of this discussion about the Nephilim and the, uh, you know, the, these sons of God and the, and the children of men, and uh, you, you sort of, um, you can scratch your head over the details or you can pull back and say, let's look at how this fits in to Genesis, right? Go back, what did it say? Genesis 3.15 talks about the, the, the um, seed of the serpent striking at the heel of the seed of the woman and the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent. You know, you see how this plays out uh, in, in Scripture. So often complicated passages can be interpreted by their connection with other passages in Scripture. So the very sound, I think, interpretive principle is best way to interpret Scripture is with Scripture. G'day family, DJ Payne here and I want to let you know for the last time in 2019 about this very special Sons of Korah offer we have. 50% off any purchase of the Sons of Korah catalogue from their online store. Whether it's a CD or a digital download, you can get it right now for half price. I thought you'd like to know that there are two live albums from Sons of Korah. Live Recordings Volume 1 and Volume 2. From Volume 1, let's have a listen right now to Psalm 91. He commands his angels concerning you to guard you wherever you may go to be piece of Sons of Korah doing live Psalm 91. One of my favourite recordings that they have is Psalm 128 from Live Recordings Volume 2. Let's have a listen to that now. Blessed is the one, the one who fears the Lord, the one who walks 
blessings will be yours. The Lord will make you rich indeed. Your wife will be a fruitful vine. And your children, like all Absolutely beautiful stuff from Sons of Korah, Psalm 128. Now, all you need to do is go to the Sons of Korah website, sonsofkorah.com, click on shop, and then look for the online store. Head over to the online store, select as many items as you want from Sons of Korah, add it to your cart, and then use the discount code THRIVETODAY50. That's the word THRIVE, the word TODAY, and the numerals five zero thrive today 50 add that in and you'll get 50 percent of everything you want to purchase from sons of cora couple of key things to remember you can only use this discount code once and the offer expires on friday the 25th of october 2019 so hurry up you've got a couple of weeks left to use it get in there and get 50 percent off everything sons of cora all right now back to episode 70 of Thrive Deeper, talking about the book of 1 Peter. DJ and Matt here for you, episode 70 of Thrive Deeper. We are wrapping up the little book of First Peter that we all know has five chapters in it. Uh, we would never assume that there was only four. <laughs> I'm saying that because I just surprised myself that there was a fifth chapter in there. Now, uh, we're, we're looking at chapter four here. Peter's wrapping up um, his, his epistle here in four and five. Matt, what has jumped out at you, uh, you know, in this, in this uh, last part of uh, First Peter? Well, uh, the, the, the call to suffering, I, I feel that we're so alienated from this because we are in a situation where we really don't have to suffer much uh, for our faith. And so if we have to, uh, if there's even a, a, a bit of a cost involved in our faith, uh, we have a tendency to really shirk that because we're just not in a context where we're used to that. Yes. You know, oh, it's meant to benefit us and it's meant to, you know, our faith is meant to make life better and make us happier and and we can tend to go down that road. And there are, of course, there are senses uh, in which that is absolutely the case, yes. a very important sense in which that's the case. But a lot of the emphasis in Scripture is on the fact that our faith is going to cause us trouble. Yeah. You know, which is in this, not, Jesus which, said to his disciples, "In this world, you will have trouble." Which is not a popular way of thinking in our culture, where our entire culture, the entire Western culture, yeah. is about, especially now, in this year, it's all about you know our personal <clears throat> comfort, our yeah. personal safety, our safety yeah. zones. Nothing's to cause us yeah. any trouble. I mean, I, I think I think we do, I think we do suffer a very subtle perhaps form of persecution but we we tend i think not to notice it and therefore we we aren't very good at countering it and and by that i mean that the way that 
Christians get stereotyped in the media, which causes us, causes a lot of Christians to just subtly keep their faith under wraps, you know, because we, we don't want to even, I think we're so concerned these days about being ostracized and not being liked and, uh, or being seen as judgmental. Yeah, that's right. Or, or being yeah. associated with these stereotypes. It's a very, it's a subtle thing, isn't it? I mean, mm. it's a subtle way to um, uh, undermine something is to create a caricature of it. Yeah. Popularize that caricature, and then people won't want to be associated with that with that caricature. Yeah. Um, and I mean, look, the media famously uh, does this by being very particular in who it chooses to give voice to and and so there's no doubt that um, people have very skewed ideas of what Christianity actually yeah. is yeah um, and, and and could we could we getting back to Peter here because I'm totally with you on this wavelength and I think it's something that's been echoing to us since we looked at Hebrews yeah. you know this idea of the writer of Hebrews was pretty hard on them you know yeah. the, your favorite line strengthen those weak knees yeah, you know yeah. get the grip happening here on your yeah. little weak hands. Peter says here at the beginning of, of chapter 4, a verse that really jumped out to me is that for if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, yeah. but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. That is pretty deep stuff there. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. First of all, he says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Mm. Like since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Yeah. And he's saying... Like be prepared to, to um, give you know be pre- there's a cost to this. Be yeah. prepared to sacrifice something. So you know that may be um, that may be. But you know it's like people think. Well, I think deep down we think. Oh gee, if I talk about this, you know, my work colleagues maybe might not like me as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. You know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so, but but I think we're so we're so unused to. And unaccustomed to really suffering any cost for our faith, mm. that even a little bit, it's like we become really stingy with sacrifice. We've become really stingy because we're not used to giving up much f- for our faith. Mm. And so, um, so this is where, this is where I think this is relevant to us. But it's interesting that he says here yeah. that um, making that sacrifice mm. is like signifies the fact that we are done with sin. We have. S- I mean, in the ESV, it says, and again, ESV, more literal translation, yep. whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Wow. That's uh, Now, what does this mean? It doesn't mean that you no longer sin. I mean, one of the problems here is that we have a tendency to understand sin moral, moral in a moralistic way. Yes. So doing bad things. What is this saying that if we suffer that we'll no longer do bad things? Mm. Well, look, the fact is, is that under persecution you probably are more likely to, you know, not, yeah. uh, what, uh, what am I saying, to do less yes. in terms of bad things. But well, that's not what this uh, yeah. is talking about. This, this is actually saying that, it's, that your willingness to sacrifice actually signifies the fact that you are done with living without God. Yeah. You know, it's like you're done with that way of life. It's like a, you have drawn a line in the sand yes. and you have said, I'm moving from 
independence and autonomy, living this way, the way of the world, I've stepped over into the kingdom of God. It's a way of signifying yeah, that, that you are done with that way and of that's living. What, and that's what Peter uh, clarifies. If you want to know exactly what that phrase means, he actually clarifies it for us in the next couple of verses. Yeah. You know, in the, in the in NLT here, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing those evil yeah. desires but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. That's you'll, be, right. you'll be after that relationship yeah. with God. You've had enough of the past evil things and the yeah. godless people enjoy. You're not going to be heading down that yeah. road again. You're going to be living in a whole new, you know, in a whole new universe, yeah. in a whole new dimension there. And he, he goes on to sort of, you know, explore that in the yeah, next few verses. That's right. it's, oh, it's huge. Yeah. Um, interestingly, he says in uh, – in verse 4, there's an interesting verse, actually in verse 6, but let me read from verse 4. Uh, he talks about uh, things that the Gentiles do that, you know, and he says, respect, with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. This is in the ESV, right? Yeah. So they're like, why? Hang on, hang on. How come you're not joining us? Uh, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. But this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, mm. uh, that through that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now let me just explain this because the, the, the problem is one of the problems in this period was that like believers are dying like everyone else. So what's what, what's the difference? Like, yeah. what's the point in yeah. suffering? In suffering this, so he's saying yes, they have been. Um, now, the the NIV adds uh, talks about those who are now dead. It just gives us some help. It's yes. like it was preached to them while they were alive, and they're now dead. But because they've died, that doesn't mean they haven't benefited from the self from the sacrifices that they made, mm. uh, because um, they uh, are going to live. In the spirit, hmm. that's that's what this goes. It says, um, yes. "For this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, so that they might be judged. So that, um, though judged in the flesh, the way people are, they might live in the spirit, the way God does. Hmm. Um, so, uh, so it's it's like pointing beyond this life, and this is another perspective that I brought." That, that has struck me about this letter to Peter, the way that he's constantly projecting to something out to something bigger than just this life. Yeah. It's like, you know, we, we massively we, like we, we sacrifice so much in this life. And, and I know, and he's encouraging these people. He's saying, this is not all in vain, right? Because there is more than just this life and we will receive a heavenly reward. Like the, the temporality of this life is, really emphasise throughout this letter. Like we've got to see this as temporary. We're just sojourners. We're just, it's like we're on a visit here. We're just visitors and we're going to, we've come and we're going to go and let's not put too much stock in just what happens in this life. It's like the best is yet to come. So it's just interesting because I think we get so, um, like because of, I guess, of our relative comfort and, um, and affluence, we can, really make our home here yes. you know, in, in a way that perhaps we shouldn't because yeah. this is all temporary. And, and it made me think, and again, I'm zooming out here and this is a little bit of a Bible nerd thing to do, but I'd be interested in your comment on this, Matt, is that I think of Peter being one of the, you know, one of the chosen three that we read about in Matthew and, we've, you know, you read about it in other, you know, the other, other accounts yeah. as well, that when Jesus took him up to the mountain, and Jesus transfigured, the transfiguration yeah, yeah. of Christ. Yeah. And they saw 
and again, I'm going to use like a nerdy word to say this, they saw into another reality. They saw into another yeah. dimension. Yeah. I would say, in the words of C.S. Lewis, they saw beyond the shadows. In the word of Hebrews, yeah. they saw beyond the shadows and they saw reality for the first yeah. time of what Jesus really was and what was going on. Yeah. And Peter, of course, they blown away. And Peter straight away with the big mouth, yeah. "Hey, let's build some shacks. Uh, 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 let's yeah, 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 commemorate yeah. what's going on." Uh, but it's funny how John and Peter, you know, the disciples, the apostles, yeah. when they get to write to us, they speak to us in such another worldly fashion, like they have been to a place that we don't go, that we haven't seen yet. Mm. They have they have experienced a reality beyond this reality, the truest reality, and they talk about yeah. it like this place is just just a passing yeah. thing. They they really speak to that. And I see it I see it really coming out. And my mind can't help but go back to yeah. that time of Peter. Yeah. Of him seeing that. And also the fact that this is written at the later stage of his life where he he's staring death down. Yeah. He knows this is around the corner yeah. for him. It's an interesting statement, that statement by C.S. Lewis. Yes. It's a very famous statement. We live uh, in the Shadowlands. You know, we live in the Shadowlands and, and this idea of the Shadowlands. I mean, it's interesting for me because it's taken, I'm pretty sure, it's taken from a parable of Plato's, uh, the parable of the cave, very famous yes. uh, Platonic uh, a parable, where he has these, um, where, uh, where, uh, where Socrates, who's the chief speaker in all Plato's writings, describes uh, the ascent to truth like he says in this life now we're like prisoners chained in a cave right and we see shapes of things you know like against the back wall of the cave you know but they're just it's just um, the shadows of real things you know and he talks about how you know the ascent to truth is like being unchanged, un- unshackled from th- this lesser reality and ascending out of the cave to seeing not the shadows of things but the real things mm. in themselves. Now, there's a few problems with that from a, <laughs> from a biblical <laughs> worldview, which is it's, it's interesting that C.S. Lewis uses that. But I think he's, he, you know, C.S. Lewis... Uh, who I, th- I believe taught classics. Oh, 100%. Yeah, so, yes. so he draws a lot from classic but I think, Roman I think, literature. This, and this is the beauty of C.S. Lewis. Yeah. I think he's combining that with the, the yeah. truth of Hebrews that speaks about you know, the realities of the temple and stuff and the tabernacle yeah. were just a shadow of the things yeah. in heaven. Yeah, that's right. But I, I, but I think – but I, I love the idea. I mean, the picture, I think, yes. as long as we don't buy into the sort of platonic worldview. And, and by that I mean – and this is going to – become relevant when we go into second peter um you know there, there is this in the platonic worldview everything here is a, is kind of a lesser reality uh and and we we ascend into the realm of ideas like the heavenly like a disembodied reality yes. is the ultimate reality yeah. whereas i i think that and that has made its way into so, yeah. some forms of christian thought um but but that aside, pushing that aside, there is this sense in which uh, this is uh, this reality is, in a very important sense, a lesser reality. This is not things are not the way that they should be now. But God is making things right. So the the world system is a temporary state. Yeah. A, uh, broken, is, a broken. Yeah, it's one. a broken temporary state, right? Yeah. Uh, that's going to be completely purged, and this is where Peter's going to talk about this in his second letter. It's going to be completely purged. Mm. So, so that, um, so in a sense, and this is what Peter goes on to say. He say it, he says that in a way, we are um, 
we as Christians are are being purged here for in in a sense, you know, in the sense that our faith is being refined. I mean, he says in in verse 17 of chapter 4, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? So it's like there's this purging happening now for us that's actually going to bring out faith, right? It's actually going to be to our benefit. But that purge is going to be a purge of judgment in the future, right? So he's, he's saying that this purging experience that we're having now is a temporary reality for our good that is preparing us for something greater. Yeah. And so again, this emphasis on the this perspective on the now. I mean, this is this is just so important for us mm. because we can get so caught up in and we have the resources to try to to think, okay, this is living here and now is about living as pleasurable a life as possible. That's like the great Australian uh, lifestyle cult, you know. Mm. Whereas actually, from a Christian point of view, the here and now is temporary. Mm. The here and now is about being as fruitful as possible, which means that there's a lot of pruning that needs to take place and, and so forth. This, uh, the idea of the temporality of this system, I think, is a great counterpoint to perhaps the comfort uh, the issue of us getting far too comfortable, and I think we can, we certainly could benefit from this perspective in in First Peter. This is the thing, as I said, that that grabbed me. It's like, wow, like there is a perspective that he has on the now that is completely different. It's like he's just he just sees himself as well, I'm just passing through here. I'm going to do what God wants me to do, and then I'm out of here. <laughs> and, yeah. and I think that I just looked in myself and thought, gee, I don't think, I, I have far too great a sense of of being rooted in the here and now. Mm. Um, that creates problems. I need to just take one step back, not get too, like to put in as what I need to put in, but not get too at home in this world system, to have the right sense of disconnection as well as the right sense of connection with what God is doing in the here and now. I told you we went to some pretty strange places. The old harrowing of hell, the uh, the passage there from 1 Peter 3. I've still got a lot of questions and hopefully you do too. This is a great jumping off point. This is a great place for you to get excited and want to get into scripture yourself. Do some study for yourself. It's fantastic to have these podcasts, but the whole reason we do this is to excite that passion within you to go deeper into the Word of God. Well, I want to encourage you to head over to sonsofcora.com. Use that discount code THRIVE TODAY50. Get 50% off everything you need from Sons of Cora. And while you're online, head over to thrivetoday.net.au. Drop us a line, leave us a review, ask us a question. We'd love to hear from you. Well, until next week, this is DJ Payne telling you to thrive. Thanks for listening to another episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ would love to hear your questions and comments about what you are reading in God's Word and in Thrive. The easiest way to do that is to head over to 
thrivetoday.net.au. Thrive Deeper is on Facebook. Just search and like Thrive Today page for all our latest news. Until next week, our prayer is that this podcast will inspire you to read God's word and thrive. Well, we've got the next two chapters, so we'll just leave that now. Is there a chapter five? Yeah. Oh, jeepers, I haven't even... Uh, it's short, though. Chapter yeah. five. There's not a lot to say about, no. about chapter five. Oh, no, no, it's is nothing. There, is, that's great. You're is all there, over this. Is there I know. A, is there a chapter... <laughs> I've literally just read three and Let's four. Let's get that on recording. <laughs> no, I need some yeah. sort of credibility after that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um,